0: this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I sure am glad to see each and every one of you here today. If we have not yet had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Mark. I am the pastor here at Hope Church, and it is an absolute honor and a delight to see you here today as we gather for a very special Sunday morning in service and in service. Uh, Because we will, of course, have our worship celebration, which we're going through right now, but directly following the the service, we're going to transition some things, and we're going to get all of the gifts that are set to go uh, across the ocean to Cameroon and the orphans in Cameroon. Uh, We're going to get those ready for their trip, and so I hope that you uh, made plans uh, to be here, uh, to be part of that as well. And I want to let you in on a little secret. Uh, We've massaged some things in the service so that you don't have to worry about being here until like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to do service to service, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, This would be a great time if you've not done so already to pull out your uh, Hope Church Plus app, whether it's on your phone or your internet-enabled device, or if you would like to use the follow-along notes that are inside of your worship guide, info guide. They are available for you, and if you are worshiping with us through the live stream, you will find the links in the Facebook as well as the YouTube uh, chats for those so that you can access those wherever you are. So as we continue into our series called Failing Faith, that you will hopefully experience uh, some connecting points here that will sit with you not just in the few minutes that we're here together today, but throughout the week. Now, last week when we started our series on Failing Faith, faith, we talked about how the subtitle of this message series is uh, when faith in God doesn't make sense in the real world. And the reality is that we see that so often. And this is a book that was written by the author named Wade Beard, and He's a pastor. And uh, what he came to realize as a subtext throughout the book, uh, when his father was diagnosed with leukemia, was that there is this sort of inertia, if you will, that wants to pull us into the idea of what is known as the prosperity gospel. Uh, some preachers proclaim it teach it they say name it and claim it right that's the whole idea of the prosperity gospel that God wants you to be blessed and God wants you to be rich and God wants you to be all the things now the reality is is that that is what God wants but that does not mean that God's definition of those things lines up with our definition of those things can I get a witness right so last week we started our series, we talked about how the author came to realize that his faith, even as a pastor, with all that he had gone through, that he experienced and he learned and he knew, his faith was still based on his own sense of personal comfort and control. And that is not at all how life works, Right. We really uh, have very little to no control over just about anything that we face in our lives. Even though statistics say that we make some 35,000 decisions a day, when you boil it all down, there really is very little over which we can control. And so when we experience those gaps between the things that we can control, when we experience the gaps between our expectations and reality, it can cause us to feel like we have experienced a failing faith. We put our faith in the wrong things, in the wrong places. And specifically, as we taught last week, we used the story of the rich young ruler out of the Gospel of Mark. And we talked about how the rich young ruler uh, found out that his possessions had him. He didn't have his possessions. And he made a comment to Jesus, and it was they had their encounter, and he said, you know, good teacher. And Jesus uh, sort of brought that back, and he said, I'm glad that you recognize me as good. I need you to drop that O and recognize me as God. And so this brings us now to the second point that you'll see on the screen, that God is not a tool to be used. God is not a tool to be used, but a giver of grace to be trusted. And all too often, we think that God is kind of like a tool to be used one of my favorite personal ways to kind of illustrate this is we want our life and we want our God to be like the magic bottle in which genie lives. We rub it one time for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and say, give me my wishes. It's not how God interacts with us. God challenges us to get in line with him, and then we will see the blessings that flow as a result of that. But if we are, dare I say guilty, but prone, probably is a better word, if we are prone to experience that inertia to bring us back into this idea and this concept of the prosperity gospel, that we expect God to be a dispenser of goodies, then we are going to continue to experience that idea of failing faith because the goodies that we seek— and the grace that God dispenses are not always congruent. Sometimes they are, right? Sometimes God does want to bless us with those material items and things as a way to to point out and to prove that he is real and he loves us and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives, but it's never just for the sole sake of our personal consumption. Whenever God offers us the blessings and the gifts and even the goodies, God wants us to be a conduit of grace, so to speak. God wants us to be channels of the grace so that it's not just coming and sitting directly in and for us. We are the means by which God blesses other people and God helps other people. And so as we bring this now into the whole concept and the idea of blessing, I think it is important and imperative For us to remember that we're not called to see blessings merely as goodies. But this is tough for us, isn't it? I find repeatedly, whenever I am uh, wanting to post something on social media or I'm reading things on social media about the ways that we tend to identify our blessings, and, and I can't help but think of like the John Crest, Chris, a Christian comedian, who, hashtag blessed, right? I got me a new Mercedes-Benz, hashtag, hashtag blessed. I got me a new iPhone 14 Pro Max, hashtag blessed. Now, the iPhone is true, the Mercedes is not. If anybody needs uh, to be a conduit through which you give them. Mercedes to somebody, let me know. I know a guy. It was a joke. It was a joke, right? It was a joke. But we oftentimes tend to look at those things like, hashtag blessed. You know, I get the goodies in life. That means God loves me. God blesses me. This was actually somewhat consistent with the way in the time of Jesus that people looked at the world. They felt that if things are going well for them, then God was blessing them. And if things weren't, then God was cursing them. That was a very common mindset among the people in the scripture, among the people in the time of Jesus and when the scripture was being written. But when you look through the scripture, it doesn't comport with that mindset, doesn't it? It doesn't. In fact, you can look through the Psalms, you can look through the Exodus journey, you can look through, I'm kind of going in reverse chronological order, but you can look uh, at Noah and the ark and things like that and realize that problems and difficulties and stress and strain and struggle has been part of our human experience since the very beginning of time. Yet God still blesses us we just have to think differently about the idea and the manner and the nature nature and notion of blessings which takes me to how jesus talked about blessings in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, last year, about this same time, we did an entire series called Upside Down, where we did a deep dive into the Beatitudes. Now, I'm not going to get heavy into that today, but when we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that we see is that Jesus is calling out sort of this contradiction or this cognitive dissonance that we can experience when we want the blessings of God to be more like goodies and the reality of what it is that we face is a result of our fallen and decrepit culture and world. For example, I love this verse out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 from the message version where it says, You were blessed when you were at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more, to, more of God in his rule. Isn't that great? We don't like to be at the end of our rope. Our sense of blessing wants to be—I want to be at the beginning of the rope—and I want the rest of the rope to be like a rope of pearls or uh, sausages, you know, whatever it is that tickles your fancy. <laughs> okay, still, uh, we we want that to be full of goodies. And Jesus has said, Jesus is saying here, the goodies come when you realize there's less room for you and more room for God. But also the idea that we see that gets discussed and explored through the idea of the Beatitudes is that blessing also talks about how we can find happiness even when the world doesn't go the way that we want it to, expect it to, desire it to, or even demand it to. The Common English Bible translates the Beatitudes instead of saying blessing or blessed by saying happy. Happy. Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who are hopeless. I don't know about you, but I don't oftentimes equate hopelessness and happiness. In fact, we're dealing with a couple things in our family's personal life right now over which we have absolutely no control. Zip. Zilch, nada, nothing. And, as I confess, I am feeling the inertia of the prosperity gospel that wants me to go to God in prayer. And dare I say, wants me to? I have gone to God in prayer. It's so like after all that I've done for you, Jesus, this is what you do to me. After all that I've seen and experienced, sacrificed, this is what is coming my direction. Screams of hopelessness, doesn't it? Jesus says, be happy in that hopelessness because these are the moments, these are the points, these are the times when you recognize you really have little to no control over anything. But the kingdom of heaven, which is a mystery over which God has complete sovereign control, is available to you if you will simply, not easy, but simply, seek to move beyond the call to experience faith as something that you can control and to bring you comfort and give it over as something that you surrender to your Savior Jesus. Because Jesus did not come to live a life of hashtag blessings. He came to show us the blessing, even through the suffering, is to recognize that there is hope And power when we put our faith and our hopelessness and our need squarely in the hands of God. Faith fails us when we think that hashtag blessed is all about new phones and new cars and new houses or new anything. But the blessing comes in recognizing that there even can be happiness in our hopelessness. Because it isn't about us, and it's about God. I was talking to a, a mentor of mine the other day uh, about one of these scenarios, and um, and I'm happy to talk about it privately. I just don't want it to be in you know, public and all that other stuff. But, um, she said, you know, in the scenario, you know what the will of God is, don't you? Well, yes. I know what the biblical mandate is in these things. And why is it that my efforts seem to just run perpendicular to it? And she said, I don't know. But what I do know is that God blesses the obedience. And even when things that we have no control over seem to fall apart, it might be that they're falling into place. But the greatest gift and blessing that we can give is obedience, even in the struggle, happiness, even in the hopelessness, to know that we've done the right thing, even if our interpretation of what the right thing in terms of results should be, even if that isn't what we receive to have faith in the God that leads us to the things, to lead us through the things, all right? So what we're going to do today is we're going to break down this idea of failing faith in terms of blessings and uh, the inertia that wants to call and pull us into things like the prosperity gospel, but we're going to do this by looking at the account of Elijah in the cave and from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9b through 15 and then 18. And one of the things that we see as you get ready to, uh, to follow along with me here is that Elijah had gone and done battle, so to speak, for God. And as a result, his life was threatened. You ever heard the name Jezebel. Or spirit of Jezebel? Well, the actual Jezebel had determined because of what Elijah did in standing up and speaking out for God that he needed to be D.E. dead. D.E.D. dead, right? He needed to be killed. Not where killed. He needed to be killed. He needed to be put out of her misery. And so Elijah, running from his life, or running for his life, but fleeing from his fear, had this encounter where he found himself completely and utterly depleted. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so let's see how God brought blessing to Elijah for standing strong in that which he wanted him to do. Even though the results were spectacular, they didn't exactly comport with what Elijah thought and believed he should have received In return. So, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 15, and then 18 to finish. Elijah came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the source and the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's almost like Elijah was trying to say to God, Didn't you hear me the first time? Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came. Face your fears, in other words and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. The word of God for God's people. Let's give thanks to God. Amen. Almighty God, I pray that as we've heard your word read and we hear it proclaimed, that we may seek that still small voice where you wish to speak to us. Lord, we so frequently look for you in the the majestic, the magnificent, the mighty. Things like hurricane force winds, wildfires, and earthquakes. But there are also times, Lord God, where you speak to us with a whisper and a still, small voice. May we slow down, tune out some of that ambient noise that we invite into our lives so that we can hear you when you do speak. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Before we get to this encounter with the cave, Elijah, as I mentioned, was absolutely depleted. And he was ready to quit. And what we see is that sometimes our circumstances tempt us to quit. Elijah was on the run, and he wanted God to end it all. I believe we have a slide for this. Now, what's important to remember is that Elijah witnessed God do miracles. And as a result of his faithfulness, Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. Now... I don't know that we have ever had the experience of doing some of the things, seeing the miraculous, quite like Elijah did in this regard. But have you ever done something where you were just absolutely, completely, totally, utterly convinced you were within God's will and things didn't quite work out the way that you thought they would or should? Yeah. got a witness over here. It happens all the time. And sometimes our circumstances tempt us to quit. I've been tempted to quit many times, even as recently as this week. Not quit my job or anything, but you know, quit the plan that God laid out for me. And as my mentor told me, it was all about finding and continuing to be obedient. We cannot quit even when we are tempted to do so because sometimes it is the refining that takes place within our obedience, within our continued willingness to do the will of God, where God is working out the most miraculous things. And where the story gets developed, the storyline, if you will, that's beyond the climax and beyond the great reveal. But it's where those details begin to take on flesh and bone, if you will, so that the story of God can be proclaimed in a way that helps to connect people with the mysterious and the tangible. Sometimes in those moments when we are tempted to quit are those times when God is tying together the loose ends that we have yet to see yet. And we can call those silver linings if we will. But there is an obedience and a perseverance that we must engage and embrace with hope. In Romans chapter 5, we see God talk about this through the Apostle Paul, where he says our difficulties help us to develop character, and our character helps us to develop hope, and that hope with perseverance helps us to continue, keep on, keeping on, because it's that hope that doesn't disappoint. We're not talking about place optimism here or hopium as some people might say this is hope and belief and faith that god's way wins in the end and so when we are going through some of those difficult times and we are tempted to quit we got to hear don't right psalm 23 king david talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death he didn't set up camp there but he had to walk through it and we all walk through things like that from time to time and as I shared before, one of my absolute very favorite quotes of all time came from Sir Winston Churchill during World War II. It's, when you're going through hell, keep going. Why is it our tendency is to want to quit? Well, it's because we have an enemy against us that is hell-bent, if you will, on trying to get us to quit. Knowing that what God may be doing in those moments with those perceived loose ends is actually putting flesh and bone on the miracle that we all need to see and experience and others need to see and experience through us and through our faithfulness. If it was always about things like Mercedes Benz and new iPhones to say, hashtag blessed, we would really find ourselves at a miss and a loss for words when we find times when we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? When we are tempted to quit, we feel the enemy is hot on our tail. This helps us to get to the second point that you'll see on your screen and your info guide. It says, God does not always operate in the realm of the spectacular. I wish he did. Because the realm of the spectacular, it's the easy stuff, right? That's the easy thing to point out. So here it is. But Elijah's experience proved that even when Elijah might himself have been looking for the miraculous the spectacular, the splendid. God had those things, but that wasn't the point of those things. Remember, the hurricane-force wind, the wildfire, the earthquake, and the still small voice. What we see through this account with Elijah in the cave and even moving before that is God ministered to Elijah to help him recover. Before Elijah goes to the cave, he's utterly and completely depleted. And that's where he asks God to end it all. He's like, Lord, just just let me be done with it, right? Folks, this is one of those areas where Scripture meets real life. I don't know if you're hearing this properly, but Elijah had become suicidal. He couldn't do it himself. So he just begged for God. God, I don't see how any of this is going to get any better, so just... Instead of taking it away from me, take me out of it. Have you ever been in a similar situation? There is an uncanny amount of shame for those who have to look back and say, how in the world could I have gotten to such a deep, dark place where I thought the only answer was to get out of it? Friend, something I'm not proud to talk about is I've been in a situation like that where everything had just gotten so messed up and screwed up that i thought the world would be a better place if i was not in it and that the only way that god could provide for my family was through my life insurance money the church would be better off if they could get rid of the passion they just didn't want and maybe lure back the one that it is so this didn't happen when i was here but i went through a very seriously dark time where i had convinced myself or allowed the enemy to convince me that this world would be a better place if I was not in it. That's a shameful thing for me to say. But I want to turn that shame into hope that God revealed to me through people who would not let me go, not even leave me alone for a period of time, to prove that God's real is love. Oh, God's love is real. God's real is love too, yeah, right? But to prove that God's love is real. And that we can find happiness even in the hopelessness. In those areas where we feel like our faith has failed us. It may just be those times when God is speaking out into our lives and say, I need you to come closer. So when Elijah is in his suicidal moment, God sends an angel to minister to him, to feed him, to nourish him, so that Elijah can rest. That's one of the other beautiful things that we see about the 23rd Psalm. I didn't intend for this to weave so tightly into it, but you can't escape it, right? Is the blessing of God through the enemies chasing King David into the valley of the shadow of death? The blessing of God was simply to give David, and in this case Elijah, the space and the place and the grace to rest. And so God provided a meal for Elijah and then gave Elijah the calm and the comfort to rest. You see, Elijah wanted it to all all be about his comfort, that which he could control. And God says, rest and remember that I am in control. God provided the space and the place and the grace to rest so Elijah could recover his emotional strength. God provided a meal to Elijah to help him recover his physical strength. Maybe like a chicken pot pie, I don't know. But that helped me a lot, comfort food. God whispered to Elijah to help him recover his spiritual strength. Notice the whisper there. It wasn't that God grabbed Elijah by the shoulders and shook him and said, like, Wake up! Come on, get rid of it. He whispered to him. Comfort. Care. But all of these things here, as God provided ways to help Elijah recover his spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical strength, required proximity. It required a closeness. It required a stillness. It required quiet. It required Elijah slowing down enough to realize that it wasn't him the world was revolving around. And that we are going to hear hurricane force winds in our lives. We are going to experience wildfires from time to time. The earth will shake under our feet. But God is with us through it all. He said, In those times, we might be inclined to panic, to shake, rattle, and roll. But as the psalmist also said in Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I am God. These are the ways that you can transform your hopelessness into happiness when you feel like you were utterly out of control. The third main point. As we get closer to bringing our message to an end, is that this is all about spiritual warfare. And the king or the father of lies wants to try to convince you of things like the world would be better off if you weren't in it. The only way to provide for your family is through your life insurance money. The church or your place of business would be so much better if you weren't the lightning rod causing all the conflict. The enemy is going to try to tell you that you are alone. And that's the best that it's ever going to be. Pay no mind to that. Pay no ear to that. Don't believe the lie that you must face your problems alone. What we see from David walking in the valley of the shadow of death and Elijah in the cave running for his life from Jezebel is that God was with him quietly, helping him to recover his strength physically Emotionally, mentally, and yes, spiritually. Elijah felt that he was all alone. And as God led him out into the opening of the cave, he said, you're not alone. There are 7,000 people who have not yet bowed down and kissed the feet of the God of the destroyer. Lowercase g, God, of course. There are people who are looking to be led. They just need to know that they are not alone. They need somebody to lead them in the spirit and the strength of God and God Almighty. And that's where we find the recovery of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual strength becomes a gift of someone else that says, I know you've gone through hell. I'm going, I've gone through hell too. Together, we can walk through this valley of the shadow of death. If we don't quit, we know we're not alone. God is going to recover us and help. Help us recover. We cannot stop. We must stay strong and on the path of God. We do not have to face our problems alone. That's where the enemy wants you to be. He wants to convince you that all of the problems, the messes, the misses, and the mistakes that you've committed, seen, done, whatever experience in life are your fault. And maybe you are tempted to think that the world would be better off if you weren't in it. Friends, I can promise you that is the greatest lie of all. The blessing comes even in our depletion. We recognize and realize that God's love is real. And that God wants us to recover our strength so that our newfound strength can result in other people finally hearing and experiencing the grace of Almighty God for the first time in their life the blessings that we can uncover and that we can give to the world and share with the world when we realize that the enemy is going to try to tempt us to quit. God doesn't always move through the spectacular. God may move through things that draw us close, but very simply, things like food and rest and play so that we can realize we give our lives back out into the world that there are multitudes of people who are looking and longing to be led by someone who has experienced and felt the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so if you've not yet experienced that this morning or in your life, I want you to know that today is a day that you don't have to let pass you by. You can come and get close to God to kneel down and move just move beyond Jesus just being good where Jesus is God and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Help me to see that suffering is part of the plan. Forgive me when I want it to be about my own comfort and my own control. And help me to surrender to your will and your your way. And even in the confession of our times, we feel hopeless. To move to know that there can be happiness there. When we experience the totality and the fullness of God's life and love. Where he wants to give you a whole brand new lease on life. But come close close enough to be fed by God, to be cared for by God, and to hear the sweet voice of the still small one who chooses to speak to us in a whisper as opposed to the earthquakes and the wildfires and the hurricane-force winds that we oftentimes seek. So may we find the blessing, even in our brokenness, as we realize there's a whole lot more room for God there when we're at the end of our row. Pray with me, please, as the band comes forward. Almighty God, I thank you for this book that has spurred and stirred so much within me. And I pray that the experiences that, that I get to share, as uncomfortable as they are, might help someone else to know and to feel beyond the shadow of a doubt that there are times when we get depleted and that feeling of depletion can lead to despair. Those are times when we are vulnerable to the lies of the enemy that tell us to quit, that the world is better off without us in it, and that we are all alone. But Lord God, I know that's not your plan. That's not how you work. For you want to reveal to us when we are open and honest with our own brokenness and come to you seeking the healing and the recovery that we need. Lord God, that you you show us that there are multitudes of people who are in the same boat, who are looking for that hope out of the hopelessness and happiness out of the despair. And so may we find your blessings here today, even with whatever hell we may be going through, so that as we kneel to you, do we recognize that we kneel only to you, Lord God. Not to some trinket or token or some magic genie lamp but to the creator of the universe that loves us enough to come close to us and to lead us alongside someone else who was suffering and who was hurting so that by the way that we live our lives we realize we're doing a whole lot more than living life, we're giving life because of who you are and how your grace surges through us so with bowed heads bended knee almighty God I pray that you hear our prayers you answer them in your own way from the simple to the spectacular you are sovereign in it all and I ask all this in the name of your son and our savior Jesus amen and amen Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.